Hi, and a big welcome to another episode of Laughter and Lunges with your hosts, Catherine and Sarah. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us today. We would love it if you could rate, follow and share the podcast so that it can reach even more ears. Here's today's episode. But just as why you didn't hit that like a couple of seconds earlier. (laughs) What, whilst we were talking about meatballs? (laughs) Joyous. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. How are you, Catherine? I'm really good, thank you. I uh, had a varied day today. Um, This morning, Hannah and I took the kittens to the vets to get their their pre-snip checkup. Um, so we cricket is going to get his little balls cut off next Thursday and he's going to have to wear a cone of shame for a few days. Oh, poor little cricket. And then later on in the day, I defrosted the freezer, (laughs) 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 which is brand new. It's like, well, it's like six months old and it's just, there's so much frost in it. It's just ridiculous. It's not on Siemens. It's not on. Bad times, bad times all around for the freezer and for poor little cricket. I was going to tell you just, and I'm going to tell you, so I'm not even going to caveat it with something really boring, but our freezer is one of those magical ones that kind of defrosts itself or anti-free, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the frost doesn't build up. It's great. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think ours is supposed to be like that, but there must be something wrong with the seal on it. And everybody wants to know the freezer drama, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. How are you? How is your day been? I'm good. Yeah, my day's been good, thanks. Like I've been up since about half three and I actually feel amazing. Yeah, I know. I was super productive this morning, which was great. I've got in a good gym session powered by that gold monster after your chat yesterday with Faisal. And um, yeah, it's been good. Been writing some workouts for Empowered Innate 2.0, oh, <laughs> um, the future. And um, yeah, it's just been it's just been a really nice, nice day awesome we've got um <laughs> we've got some comments about meaty balls in the chat so meaty balls chat continues and then dawn says meatballs question mark what have i come into ah uh, well uh, you'll never know dawn you'll never know until you listen back yeah <laughs> because you obviously will listen twice <laughs> you you might miss out on a gem to be fair we've got oh, some good no, questions today, haven't we we have we've got some meaty questions to be fair which one should we start on? Should we start from like the bottom of that? Who who asked the first question? Was oh, is it the one? Is it Lena? Lena? I think oh, so. Cool. So that's good then because I have put them in that order. So the question is, when doing the dumbbell shoulder press, I am able to do the same weight for all sets, 6, 8, 10, 12. Problem is I can't actually lift the next dumbbell to even do one rep. Do I just stick with the current weight or should I use a machine that will allow me to potentially increase the weight as I'm being spotted by the machine? Thanks. Okay. I feel like we might need a bit more information on this one. I'm surprised that you can lift the same weight for 12 reps and six reps, but then can't even do like one rep of the next increment up. Mm. So that might tell us a couple of things. It might be that where you're training, whether that's in your home gym or whether that's in a commercial gym, that actually just the next increment up in the dumbbells is a massive gap. Even sometimes like 2.5 kilos can feel like a lot, can't it? Um, 
So is it that like maybe the jump is actually five kilos or 10 kilos, in which case, okay, we might need to look at doing something different. Or is it that you actually can't get that next increment up in the dumbbells actually into the start position of your shoulder press? So maybe you can't lift it from say like your lap up to the starting position where the dumbbells sort of in line with like your head. Um, That's kind of, we maybe need to know that, but we can still totally like give you some advice on this one. Yeah, I think that'd be helpful, especially given the cumulative load of that, of like all of those reps, you know, that's going to add up and be fatiguing. So um, whether, as you said, there is that big jump, it'd just be helpful to have an idea. I think given what you've said, Catherine, like potentially having someone help to get into that starting position, if it is a case of not being able to kind of lift it up into that start position, um, because from there, that that movement's going to be a little bit easier than lifting it all the way up from the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but even something like what you what you've actually suggested about using the machine if there is a massive like jump that can help because often with the machine we can add those incremental weights on um but even increasing the reps within those sets so doing something like four sets of 12 or like up in a little bit more to build that um strength in that at that weight but within more of a rep range is going to help as well to kind of build muscle and potentially like get you to that point where you can lift that next weight up as well I can see the chat going wild (laughs) in the corner of my eye (laughs) I'm trying not to get distracted by it and like properly listen to your answer I keep reading it (laughs) what are people saying Hannah's saying I definitely wasn't sitting on Instagram waiting for this to start Hannah you're now in the right place on Facebook well done congratulations well done passed the first test and Sharon is saying, hey, all just got back from having my eyebrows tinted and I look like an angry Spanish woman. In the words of my daughter, hoping some washes off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure what an angry Spanish woman looks like. No, nor me. It's probably a good thing that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be on the receiving end of that. No, no. Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, yeah, going back to what you as a question (laughs) the question at hand not eyebrows I'm loving your mug by the way Sarah has an empowered innate mug very on brand she's just drinking from it yeah it has Um, actually got drinking I haven't just done it for effect just hold it there whilst you're not talking (laughs) um I totally agree like you could use the fixed resistance machine because generally they'll have smaller increments between each of the weights the only thing there is that the actual I suppose relative weight doesn't really translate mm. to dumbbell weight because what happens with a fixed resistance machine is that the the load goes through a series of pulley pulleys like in the machine itself so you can't say that like 10 kilos on the fixed resistance machine equals 10 kilos dumbbell shoulder press mm. um but you could then decide to work at like a um at a certain intensity so you could be like i'm gonna make sure that i push it like an eight or nine out of ten or i go to failure for example um the other thing that you could do is if you want to keep using the dumbbells is you just like um you could just do like four sets of 12 reps if you really can't go up in the next or you could do a combination of what sarah and i suggested there so use a bit of the machine and also then go and do like more reps with the dumbbells yeah i think 
whatever you choose to do almost like just be consistent with that and then you'll see that like progressive overload as well so whatever you pick to do um keep doing that so that we can see that 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 you are progressing um but yeah do give us a bit more information as well if that isn't what you meant either yeah um. we might have got the wrong end of the stick completely <laughs> awesome is that amazing we're happy with that one hell yeah I don't think I don't think Lena is joining live because it is like what half past midnight her time in Australia yeah that would be dedication that would to to hear this question answered hey it's a Friday so... she should be joining she can have a lion tomorrow <laughs> I'm joking by the way Lena um so the next question then is how important really is having a rest day I tend to not schedule one in as I inevitably Oh, it's the first time it's happened to me. I've done quite well reading the questions. I tend to not schedule one in as as inevitably I'll have to have a break due to work travel. At the Mo, I've been to the gym eight days in a row and will probably do another four more days before I'm forced to have a couple of days off. This month coming, I'm traveling about a lot, so we'll not have as big chunks of gym work. But if I had my way, I'd probably never have a rest day. Hashtag gym love. And we have the heart hands emoji. I feel like I have to fill that all in. Um, yeah. I'm going to say just go straight in on this one, Catherine, if that's all right. Of but course. Like, yeah. having, having a rest day is very important. Um, it's something, again, I think often we don't see rest as important because we feel like we're not doing anything, but while we might not be doing anything um, actively in terms of like exercise, because we're resting, our body is recovering from the exercise. So during when we're resistance training, our muscles will get micro tears. So those rest days allow those tears to repair and strengthen. And that's what helps to lead to like muscle growth and also like a seeing progression as well. Um, also if we do kind of avoid having rest days we are more susceptible to getting injuries whether that's like overuse injuries or just through fatigue like it can be really fatiguing to not take a rest day um, and that can lead to kind of just a reduction as well in like overall performance as well as kind of strains sprains and gym fails really you know we might be more likely to walk into a barbell or drop things on us um yeah just things like that as well I think it's like really important that although we're maybe not doing something in the gym our body is still doing something that's helping us progress by taking that time out um, and without that time out it might mean that we're not able to go as hard in that next session as well which is going to limit our progression and kind of the um, gains that we can get really mm -hmm. I totally agree and I think like maybe another thing to ask there for you particularly Sharon is like what is it about going to the gym every single day what like what do you get out of it if it's maybe it isn't necessarily you thinking I'm going to get better muscle building results if I go every single day if I go like what 12 days in a row maybe it's actually because you really enjoy it and you get something out of it can you get that enjoyment and fill that like gap somewhere else in your life as well um because what happens say for example you did get injured and I can see Sarah smirking what's happening 
Are you reading the chat? <laughs> but yeah, for example, if you did get injured, you're probably going to feel like, oh my God, I'm not going to get to the gym for X number of weeks. And then that's going to be a big shock to your system. So I think even like not even looking at training wise and muscle building, what is that time in the gym giving you? And can you get that elsewhere? Like that's one of the things that kind of came up for me when I read that question. Mm. The other thing is, it depends, doesn't it? A lot of things in fitness depends and it will depend on what your training split looks like. We know Sharon, what your training split looks like because we program for you in Empowered Innate. However, if this was say, for example, somebody else who was doing a training split, which might look like them doing upper body, lower body, a short core session, a cardio session, Mm -hmm. and then repeat, that's very different because you're actually giving your muscles time to recover between each of those sessions. The way that you're splitting them up is allowing that recovery time, but maybe you're going to the gym and doing alternative things. Maybe one of your gym sessions is actually just stretching because you just enjoy going to the gym and you get benefit out of the stretching day. But I think if you're specifically going through like cycling through the five workouts that we've written without a rest day, I don't think you'll make as as good a gains as you could do if if you were taking a rest day so I think we need to find a way for you to feel comfortable with taking at least one rest day a week and not doing 12 days in a row yeah I think that's a great shout as you said getting I'm going to use the word curious but like curious about what it is about going to the gym and not taking a rest day like what what's that benefit what is it going to the gym is giving you and how can you get that somewhere else is such a good point um and because it's a rest day doesn't mean that you just have to like curl up on the sofa and like cover yourself in a blanket you know you can which is very delightful may I add but like you can get out for like a walk or still do something active if it's kind of the thought of being active or even as Catherine said still go to the gym but be doing mobility maybe doing some stretching and and things like that um so yeah really having to think about what what it is I can see you smiling now I know what I'm saying could use that Sharon could use the extra time for cross stitching (laughs) (laughs) it's just all I can see in the chat is um the addition of chops to to the name and it's just Shazza chops it's out there now on the podcast the nickname is sticking I know I apologize for that Sharon I do apologize but you know when a name's good it sticks I think we may have got through because Sharon just say okay okay I'll rest with the hands over the eyes amazing I poking out emoji we want a little selfie tomorrow of proof that you are resting please yes that would be excellent 12 days in a row of our workouts is probably a bit much um the other thing I was going to mention there actually was look for signs of overtraining and under recovery which will include things like muscle soreness Mm -hmm. every single week and that doesn't go away even after like two or three weeks of starting your new training program and then maybe you're not making progress in the gym if you're still making progress and you're not sore and you feel full of energy and you're in a good mood and you're not getting injured might be a sign that you can actually adapt to that amount of volume and that amount of stress that you're putting on your body but I'd be very surprised um if like 12 days in a row of really hardcore exercise and like workouts is Mm. actually like a positive definitely yeah I think 
I think typically you want to be looking at having like at least one to two rest days per week, just in general for most people. Again, it's going to vary person to person and depending what it is you're classing as a rest day. Um, for some people, they might class sort of stretching as a rest day and or um, a workout day, sorry. Um, and again, potentially given your training split, something like that would be fine. Um, awesome. Shall I move on to the next one? Let's do it. Yeah, I think Shazza Chops has, has heard enough. <laughs> um, so this is a longie. I'll try and say this. Do you know what? I just need to make the writing bigger. I'm going to go do that. Get, getting old here. So, <laughs> it's like one letter on the screen at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Preface to say this may stray into GP territory. So happy for you not to answer on the potty if you don't want to. Okay, then. Okay, next. (laughs) Um, As you know, I'm on day two of a seven-day course of antibiotics for tonsillitis. Our thoughts are with you. And I can tell my gut is a little unhappy with life. Not in a terrible way, but I am feeling lumpy and lethargic outside of how the tonsillitis is making me feel. And I wondered if you had any knowledge on the subject of supplementing with a probiotic like kefir, etc., Exactly. I've had a little look and there seems to be little to say it is beneficial, but nothing to say it's detrimental. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Wow. We had a wee chat about a wee chat about this before we came on the live. Um, I think we're in a similar vein, aren't we, in that probably best to check with your GP because the advice might vary depending on which antibiotic you're taking and then just individually as well um i i'm like had time to read just like one thing on pubmed before we came on which said um that taking probiotics alongside a course of antibiotics might just help maintain a level of gut bacteria Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't want to give you really specific advice in this instance and i think that's it there's like different probiotics are going to have varying effects on your gut health as well and again it's going to vary so much from like person to person um and those probiotics themselves might give you side effects too so it and again that's going to be so personal to you um the the one part that i'd read which we said we would also mention was about the um there's kind of like the strongest evidence to sort of suggest that potentially it's helpful after a course of antibiotics to help with. Are you laughing because of the thing or because you know what I'm going to say next? No, I'm um, laughing because Pfizer was asking me what that accent was. I think that was maybe me saying kefir. <laughs> and Sharon says maybe Spanish to make me feel at home. Ah, maybe. Um, but yeah, generally like the the main sort of evidence is for taking it after a course of antibiotics to help with antibiotic related diarrhea so um yeah and i think that's why am i laughing (laughs) oh because you're a child Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and i will try not to also laugh but yeah i think where was i going with that antibiotics obviously do really affect your gut health and your gut microbiome so um yeah definitely if it's something you're concerned about do check with your doctor about what might be most beneficial for you given the antibiotics that you're on agree I don't think I have much else to add I feel like that's one area of 
like nutrition that I I'm not that confident in is the whole like gut microbiome I think because it's quite a new area of research and there's not that much definitive evidence at the minute um I don't like telling people yes definitely take this probiotic like yeah well yeah because there's so much again conflicting or there's the jury still out isn't there as well on like when you take it how much of it gets actually into your gut too because of like Mm -hmm. the acids so um yeah there's a lot going on there again like all the fecal transplants and stuff like that so um, (laughs) there's a lot that's emerging so we'll keep you in the loop (laughs) about that once once we know oh gosh so one final question but this is a large question I'm going to read it all and then I'll let Catherine split it down bit by bit oh yay (laughs) so hello lovely humans oh hey hello can you please talk about MPS or muscle protein synthesis and the refractory period? How long is the refractory period? One source I read suggested it was an hour per 10 grams of protein consumed. Others were more two to three hours regardless of intake. What is the impact on MPS if you take on board more protein after one hour instead of three? As an example, what is the optimal feeding window when taking in protein for MPS? By that, I mean, is there a difference between taking in 30 grams of protein in five minutes versus 50? And I think that's like versus 50 minutes. That's what yeah, I, yeah. I think so. Um, like the like the length of how long it takes you to eat yeah. protein. Yeah. I love that we both did that. Uh, I'm obviously not a competitive athlete. It's not obvious at all everyone's a competitive athlete here so I'm unlikely to change the behavior that is currently working for me in order to achieve these marginal gains it's purely out of interest that I ask and the fact that I've had to spend too much time resting and so have more time to think well we love that you've been thinking because this is a this is a really awesome question and there is quite a bit to unpack I like the nerdiness of this yeah, Catherine was like pure geeking out when when this came through, <laughs> <laughs> which I very much appreciated. <laughs> I think like maybe maybe we break down some of the definitions of some of those things first um, for anyone who's listening that is like, what the hell is MPS and what the hell is the refractory period? Because I think those terms, I like we know what they are, but I think we could quite easily end up throwing them around being like actually willy nilly. Yeah. Willy nilly. Exactly. Willy nilly. What a phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I suppose let's start off what with MPS, which is muscle protein synthesis. And that is the, essentially what that is, is the creation of muscle protein fibers um, within the muscle. So imagine like building a wall with little bricks, that's muscle protein synthesis the opposite of that is called muscle protein breakdown. And that's like someone taking the bricks away from the wall. So our muscles are in a constant state of flux between the wall being built up and the wall being broken down again. Now, over time, if the if muscle protein synthesis is higher than muscle protein breakdown, what we get is muscle building. And that's what we're aiming for here. So that's like the balance of those two things. If muscle protein synthesis is smaller than breakdown, then your muscles will atrophy. They'll break down over time and get smaller. 
Um, and then I suppose the refractory period is it's that point in time that's needed between each serving of protein that we eat to allow the muscle protein synthesis. So the muscle building to go up and then drop again. Um, I quite like this analogy <laughs> that I thought of. I don't know what you think of it. I should have run it by you beforehand, <laughs> but we've already gone for a bit of like poo chat and toilet oh, humor. No. So I feel like we can just continue with the toilet humor. Um, so imagine you are, you, you know, when you flush the toilet to begin with, you get like, obviously like a big flush, that's the muscle protein synthesis being um, maximally stimulated. If you then immediately go and try and flush the toilet again, it doesn't flush, right? You have to wait for the tank of the toilet to fill up before you can flush again. Otherwise you just get tiny little trickles that do nothing. <laughs> and you're like panicking in the toilet store. Like, ah! <laughs> so that's my analogy for the refractory period. What do you think? I appreciate that analogy. I think that's it's a good visual. Thanks. It's a very good. It's a very good visual. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold a visual after this podcast. Oh gosh. Oh no. So does that that sort of like sets the scene a little bit for what each of those things mean? Um, that's Catherine every morning, by the way. Oh gosh. <laughs> There's no secrets on on this podcast anymore for you, is there? Like it's very um... regular. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's got a good gut microbiome. It's all that kefir that she has. Kefir. Um, what was I'm trying to think of? What the first question was? So, how actual... long is the refractory period? One source I read suggested it was an hour per ten grams of protein consumed. Others were more two to three hours, regardless of intake. So it varies between like one and a half and three hours ish. Um, but it also the, what that depends on is how quickly the amino acid leucine. So think of that as one of the bricks that's really important for muscle protein synthesis. So really important for building that wall up. It depends on how quickly that reduces in the bloodstream, like the quicker that reduces, like, the shorter the refractory period essentially, but give yourself like 1.5 to three hours. I think a good rule of thumb is just to say three hours because you're unlikely to be able to actually eat like a large portion of protein like every hour. That's just going to not feel nice, right? No. Well, I think that's, yeah, something we'll probably come on to about that. But yeah, you're right. Sort of trying to regularly stoke that fire with um, actual food as well would be quite, quite difficult i'm not going to read out some of the things that's going on in the in the chat at the minute <laughs> oh joy um yeah i i wasn't gonna add anything to that i'm so okay. lost my mind now but yeah i think just exactly what you said i think it's one of those things as well like um i know we're talking about food so i don't want to throw exercise in there but I am, but that's obviously going to impact it as well because um, exercise also stimulates muscle protein synthesis. So that's going to potentially raise that kind of um, the the flush in that first surge, the baseline flush. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna um, make that go up a little bit higher. So um, that can also impact on it as well. So it potentially then could take a bit longer to come back down um, mm -hmm. as yeah. well. So 
it I think that's the thing it varies so much on so many factors um as well so yeah as a rough guide like Catherine said um probably that sort of three hour kind of window yeah totally agree and then the next question was that about the having more protein after one hour instead of waiting three hours so what is the impact on MPS if you take on board more protein after one hour instead of three, as an example? So, yeah, I think you sort of said a bit about that. I think like there's no I don't think there'll be any impact at all. It's not going to turn off MPS if you've just had, say, 30 grams of protein in your dinner and then you go and have like half a protein bar half an hour later or an hour later for like your dessert it's not gonna have any negative impacts on muscle protein synthesis um but there's a difference there like say for example if you're like drip feeding your muscles with amino acids and again what amino acids are the building blocks of protein they're the little bricks that make up the wall if you're drip feeding yourself with those like throughout the day so like sipping on amino acids then what that can potentially do is like reduce the sensitivity of your cells to actually allow those amino acids in and help with muscle protein synthesis so actually like on the very far extreme end of that scale like it could have a negative impact but i don't think you're doing that and if you are doing that you should probably stop doing that yeah save your money (laughs) as well there was there was um there was a study that I was reading earlier about, uh, so it was, it was essentially, it's kind of similar to the question that you've asked here. It doesn't directly answer it, but it's quite interesting. And it looked at three different protein feeding types or um, interventions after a bout of resistance exercise. So the first group of people had eight times 10 grams of protein every one and a half hours The second group of people had four times 20 grams of protein every three hours. And then the last group had two lots of 40 grams of protein every six hours. And what they found from that study was that number two came out on top. So the four servings of 20 grams of protein every three hours, that was like optimal for muscle protein synthesis compared to having 10 grams of protein every eight hours. So that's where like distribution across the day is important. It's not the most important thing. The most important thing for muscle protein synthesis is the total amount that you're having throughout the day. Then the next important is that how are you distributing it throughout the day? Definitely. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Trying to distribute it is going to have like the biggest impact as opposed to worrying kind of too much about whether it's an hour, two hours, like if it's distributed evenly, that's going to really help out agreed there was there was another question wasn't there in that or are there two more yeah so it's kind of all in one what is the optimal feeding window when taking in protein for mps by that i mean is there a difference between taking in 30 grams of protein in five minutes versus 50 yeah so that's like how long it actually takes you to eat that serving of protein so i suppose like in a real life setting you could technically be doing that but you could eat your dinner really quickly and eat 30 grams of protein in five minutes or you could be out for dinner with friends and you have like tapas dishes coming out and you maybe eat that over the course of like I was gonna say an hour but an hour is probably quite a long time but anyway like that is quite like a real life setting but I think that I don't think that that has any real 
impact on muscle protein synthesis because if you think about even just gastric emptying so the food moving from your stomach into your small intestine to actually start the absorption of protein that takes what that can take like a couple of hours anyway Mm. um and then you could also argue that what you eat alongside the protein also impacts that like gastric emptying so the feeding length so if you're eating a lot of like fruit and vegetables and you're having fats alongside the protein and even the quality of the protein so is it um maybe a plant-based protein that doesn't have as much leucine in it or you know the quality of the amino acids aren't quite as high as say chicken or yogurt or something like there's so many things that can impact Mm. actually like the absorption and how the protein passes from the stomach to the gut that I think looking at like a feeding window of varying between five minutes and an hour probably has very little impact. I struggled to find any definitive like research on that. I'm going to have to go away and have a look a bit more. Um, but I did struggle to find anything. I think just because it's so complicated, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess as well, like with that as well, if you were consuming say, 30 grams within five minutes then yeah potentially it might result in a faster spike in sort of amino acid levels in the bloodstream but compared to like spread spreading it out over 50 minutes but as you said it's going to depend where that protein sort like what that protein source is if you're having like a shake or something then obviously that's going to kind of be more accessible easier than if you're having something like a steak which has got kind of like the fat you know like a lot more fats in and as you said that's going to impact on kind of the rate of digestion and absorption as well so even that like you said the quality of the protein and how easily accessible it is is going to impact too um but in terms of like the application of that like in terms of the gains like as you said whether it's um, within five minutes, is that sort of quicker spike um, than 50 minutes going to make a massive difference? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add on that. Awesome. I think, again, like, and as Dawn sort of said, really, um, at the end of that, as in it was more just out of interest, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's it. Like, with a lot of these things, there's, like, the science and what's deemed optimal and even with this it's so nuanced even with the science because of all those varying factors like we said the type of protein whether you've exercised and like even yourself like um when you last had your last like protein feeding and it's all going to impact on it so it's about working out what's going to work best for you and again I know Dawn said that it's more out of interest but I think that's the main thing really is working out how you can spread that across the day in a way that's going to work best for you really mm-hmm. yeah so much like interperson, interperson um variability variability I was trying to think of the word there <laughs> that it's yeah I think like find find the strategy that works best for you and as a rule of thumb try and eat a protein serving sort of during the day when you're awake every three to five hours if you really want to make it optimal and Mm -hmm. try and make that serving at least 20 grams of protein yeah and I I think that's it isn't it because it's it's go for that like what's the sort of lowest hanging fruit in the way that like makes it fit for you and then if you get into a point where 
everything's ticked off and you're thinking, do you know what? Like, oh, I'd like to see about the marginal gains then maybe. But again, you want it to be something that's going to fit in relatively easily with with your life without kind of much second thought, really. Agreed. Awesome. Is that all of our questions? That is all of our questions, yeah. Does anybody have any questions if they're watching live? I I feel like somebody would have asked already. I mean, just a lot of banter. I mean, given the words that I can see on the screen, I'm just sort of hoping there aren't any questions. (laughs) Given the the general theme of the chat. Everybody's in a silly mood. They've got the Friday feeling, I think. I know. I'm very much appreciating it. It's It's so nice that so many people have joined live, actually. And, um, yeah, if you haven't already, please do vote on the the word I can never say properly. Thank you, Catherine, um, that's in the group to let us know when you want the next banter and beverages catch up. And, oh, God, no. No, Pfizer. <laughs> oh god no <laughs> not even god knows what you're doing um so yeah do let us know when you'd like that to be so that we can make sure more people can be there i can't wait for the next one the first one was really good and it was like a really relaxed atmosphere we were there were a couple of things that came up fitness wise weren't there um some chat about like getting in protein chat about squats versus hack squats but then we also spoke about like hobbies and things like that and I think it just brings out a really nice community vibe um, and it helps all of us to get to know each other and we were even saying Sarah and I like really enjoyed it because it means that we can come to it we don't not necessarily have to have our coaching heads on we can just be like ourselves and us and have a laugh with everybody which is really nice as well yeah definitely I know when we were talking about the group way back when when it was a wee twinkle in our eye that community is a massive part of what like we both value so the fact that we can do that and bring people together on those kind of catch-ups like means a lot to us so for us to get to know you and yeah for us all to get to know each other it's just awesome because I think it makes for like a much well from all the banter that's going on in the in the chat now like it's just that it's it's just really nice to see. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I think from like our, when we were talking about our values as coaches and what we wanted out of the group, I remember saying to you, I want to know everybody who is in Empowered Innate, know what their goals are, like know what their background is, like know stuff about them. And I think that really helps us to achieve that, like having this, like a few different places to kind of, share those things whether that's the the chat during the lives or whether it's our group calls or it's in the group itself and we do posts yeah I'm loving it I'm really really loving it same it's awesome and it's awesome because of the awesome people that have joined us thanks for joining us heart hands emoji we love you (laughs) okay Uh, I think that's enough of our gushings for Friday evening have a fabulous Friday everyone and we'll see you soon Love you, bye. Love you, bye.